0: Greetings and welcome to the Hospice News podcast, Elevate, featuring discussions from hospice and palliative care leaders and other professionals in the field on the challenges and successes that providers encounter every day. My name is Jim Parker. I'm editor of Hospice News. With me today is Dr. Michael Fratkin, founder and CEO of Resolution Care. Dr. Fratkin's medical experience includes primary care in a community clinic setting, hospice as a medical director and a hospital medical staff leader. He also speaks nationally and advocates for improving the experience of people facing the end of life. Dr. Fracken, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's my absolute pleasure, John. Thank you for having me.
0: Can we start, um, Could you tell us a little bit more about your own professional background and introduce us to Resolution Care?
1: Yeah, you know, I trained uh, in the 90s, um, came out of my internal medicine training with a passion for the care that we provide to people as they struggle with serious illness. I was an HIV specialist, as well as quite interested in end-of-life care, really from the very beginning. And when I came to this Northern California uh, community, I started as a primary care internal medicine doctor with a special practice in HIV medicine. As the years went by, my interest in the technical details of managing complex and very specific illnesses diminished as my commitment and interest in really person-centered care expanded. Uh, Shortly after I arrived in Humboldt County, I ended up as the medical director of the community-based hospice here. And then over the years, through periods of burnout and frustration and difficulty, my focus narrowed on the care that people receive as they approach the end of their lives.
0: So could you describe Resolution care as a tele-palliative care model?
1: Yeah, back in 2014, again, on the backdrop of uh, a kind of unsustainable physician's practice, um, I was looking for work and I, I, you know, found that there were many hospice medical director jobs, many palliative care medical director jobs, um, but then none of them existed in the community that I called my home. Uh, so I wondered whether or not there was a new and different way to structure a sustainable model of palliative care, one that actually includes the entire 360 degree interdisciplinary team. And a few things came my way. One was I noticed the smartphone in my pocket might be a tool that I could use for connecting to people wherever they are and connecting to teammates. I certainly had used it a ton with phone calls and texts and even the occasional FaceTime encounter to discover that, yeah, it actually adds something when you can see the person you're talking to. Second thing was I noticed Project Echo as a mechanism by which a sort of inadequately resourced specialty can expand or force-multiply impact by advising people how to best care for the folks in their practices. So Project ECHO was a really cool innovation from my point of view, still is. And then the third thing was, is I noticed a friend of mine who was a graphic designer had uh, put together a crowdfunding campaign to fund a large format printer for her studio. And in a few weeks, she got twice the printer, she thought Hmm. she needed. And those three things came together. So in the end of 2014, I launched a crowdfunding campaign to finance the initial startup of a a complete team of palliative care. That in combination with some trends and regulatory changes in the state of California, uh, favoring value-based payment for providing palliative care to people dependent on the safety net, people who use Medicaid as their primary funder of healthcare, care, uh, came together and we launched in 2015. What Resolution Care is, is a technology-enabled, home-based community palliative care intervention that functions as not an extra layer of support, but a necessary layer of support in addition to the cancer care people are getting, the specialty care that they're getting, and the primary care that they're getting, while they grapple with uh, serious, uh, often quite life-limiting illnesses.
0: Thank you. And uh, you've touched on this, but could you say a little more about what inspired you to develop this model?
1: Well, burnout is probably the biggest motivator for me. I I had always dreamed of a job that actually could be placed in balance with my other jobs, like being a father and a husband and a generally unfolding person of my generation. I wanted to have a balanced and sustainable life, though still to function in working with people who are really at the edge of things. I didn't want to sacrifice everything that I am as a person Mm -hmm. in order to provide service to people who desperately need it. I thought it would be possible to build out something that really was sustainable for both the people we care for, but also the people providing the care. And it turns out that the equation... Sorted with telemedicine, plus value-based economics, plus an inspired
0: organizational culture with a distributed workforce. That equation lands at sustainability. And does um, Resolution Care do home visits in addition to the telehealth services?
1: Well, as of March the 18th, uh. we did probably a little bit more than half of what we do for caring for people with our nurses, our social workers, our chaplains, our doctors, our community health workers. Probably 60% of everything that we were doing on March 18th was done face-to-face, on the couch, in the home, knock on the door, meet at the cafe, do what's necessary to connect with these people in person. On March 19th, however, we switched to 100% telehealth-based engagements, um, and some unique things happened. Number one, the people we care for and their families—they didn't notice. Most of them had had some use of video conferencing or telephone-based work, and they didn't really notice the difference. Some of the late doctors and the resistant ones, we had to say, "Hey, it's COVID nineteen. We're not coming out, and we're not going to put you or our team at risk. So it's going to be this way." And everybody came along, even though they were they had been previously resistant and preferred to see people in person to hold their hands and to see them in in real space. So we switched to 100% telehealth, and the people we served didn't notice the difference. The organization did. We realized about 30 to 40% efficiencies, Hmm. meaning there was more time and savings in the day for each of our staff members not only to take care of the people they cared for, but to take care of their children, who they were homeschooling, to take care of their lives, to take care of their own stress in regards to the pandemic. And with some of that renewed efficiency, we've been able to actually grow our caseloads and the size of our organization within the renewed bit of sustainability. Now, interestingly, at first they were like, well, when can we go back to the way it was? Hmm. But actually over these last few months, that's diminished. Because they have figured out how to drop into functioning, working from their homes and working to manage their own sort of bandwidth on a going forward basis. So they're not coming to the office. They're not sitting, in, you know, in the space away from their homes. They're actually working in concert with their other parts of their lives and they're enjoying that as a, a new way of doing housekeeping.
0: And uh, you've, of course, mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic, which has led to massive expansion uh, in telehealth nationwide. You already had a robust telehealth program before the pandemic. How else has the outbreak impacted your organization?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's a big deal. uh, That Somewhere along the line in in March, people noticed, wow, telemedicine, it's a thing. (laughs) They also noticed a little bit more astutely that palliative care matters for people who are facing unexpected threats to their life and living. Uh, so both of those two things really took a big step forward in the pandemic, which has been exciting for us. Um, but also it raises the bar of our responsibilities to the field. The reason I say yes to folks like you, Jim, that want to talk about it is that I think it's important that we make it clear to our field that these technologies can be very, very useful. Not all palliative care programs are going to be 100% telehealth-based with a 100% distributed workforce in a network capacity like us. But we've demonstrated that the care that we provide in this context is better than real life in many, many interesting ways. And so we're sharing that information through media opportunities like this to talk about it, but also through educational opportunities to the Institute of Palliative Care at the California State
0: University and through other kinds of outreach. Thank you. And thank uh... So as telehealth has expanded during the pandemic, there's the issue of reimbursement for those services has been kind of murky, particularly for hospices, for home health organizations. Can you tell us how Resolution Care gets reimbursement for its telehealth services? Yeah, prior to the public health
1: emergency, mm-hmm. it was not possible to uh, for even a physician or provider to bill on a fee-for-service basis for consultation to the home. We just Mm -hmm. couldn't do that. We could drag people from their homes into some clinic environment, say their primary care provider's office, uh, or even our office if we had uh, that kind of a clinical environment. We did that now and again Mm -hmm. uh, to bill through fee-for-service. But fee-for-service is a huge brick wall between the enormous demand and need for this service, and even the limited workforce that's ready to provide this service. Now, the public health emergency changed things. The rules relaxed, the concerns about using this or that platform as being adequately HIPAA compliant, those were relaxed, enforcement from the Office of Civil Rights relaxed so that you could use whatever video conferencing platform was most appropriate to the mm-hmm. to solve that problem. In addition, the restraint from using fee for service billing models for doing consultation to wherever a person is were relieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact telephone can be billable for doing palliative care interventions. All of that has made the murky ground just a gray space. Because we don't know how long these relaxed regulatory uh, guidelines will last. And we don't know what the after, after the public health emergency is lifted, what the circumstances will be. Will they try to put video conferencing back into the genie's bottle? What we've discovered since March is that video conferencing and telemedicine can really make a big difference in lots of areas of medicine. Ours is just one of them. Palliative care. We've demonstrated that we can use this work exclusively and provide high-quality palliative care to people in their homes. Mm-hmm. We so so it remains sort of not, not necessarily murky, but in the gray and unpredictable. Right. I see. Now going into the pandemic, Resolution Care had put all of our eggs in one basket, and that basket is value-based or outcome-based economic structures. of the people we care for, their services are paid for through contracts that we have, payer-provider partnerships, where they determine who's eligible to receive the benefit. Mm -hmm. And we just take care of those people over time and assure them that they continue to meet eligibility criteria. That gives us the room to manage people for an average of 9 to 10 months. And it allows us to have a predictable revenue stream based on a per member per month budget. I see. And that gives us the room to touch Jane very intensively with, you know, 20, 30 hours of staff time in a month and touch Bobby very lightly. If they're doing pretty well, we don't have to bother Bobby with the same treatment plan that we have for, what did I say her name was? Jane?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They don't have to have the same level of intensity because they're living different lives and are on different parts of their own journey. So this sort of predictable value based payment structure or the per member per month on a monthly basis provides us with the budget that we need to take care of the very high touch people and the very low touch people and to be nimble.
0: As they change, <laughs> change roles. I see. That makes sense. And uh, let's say if you were charged with designing a payment model for the the future of telehealth, if you had a wish list for a payment model, what would that look like?
1: It would look like not focusing on telehealth. It would look at, look like focusing on the needs of people. <laughs> so within the care and hospice space. It shouldn't matter what tool I pull out of the toolbox. As long as I'm meeting or exceeding a standard of care, nobody should really care whether I'm doing it by telephone, I'm doing it by video conference, I'm doing it in person, or I'm doing it by smoke signals. If it delivers on the outcome that all the stakeholders can agree upon, better quality of life, better satisfaction, greater support, better sustainability for the workforce, and meets those criteria, then it shouldn't matter what mechanism I use. The economic structures that support that kind of program development we call value-based payment, we call outcome-based payment, and they really are built on kind of an agnosticism for the channel of communication or the setting of care. Um, It's not the setting that matters, it's the outcome that
0: matters. Hmm. And uh, you mentioned some of the uncertainties ahead as terms of when the public health emergency ends, what will still be permitted, what will be paid for in regards to telehealth. Where do you see telehealth going from here within your scope of experience? What predictions would you make? Oh, let
1: me just get my
0: crystal ball, right? right. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, I got my crystal ball now, Jim. I think that video conferencing hmm.
1: will persist and be considered to be equivalent to inpatient work with the standard of care determining that quality is equivalent. In other words, I think that will remain free to use video conferencing even in the fee-for-service structures. For us, we've already built those structures and those arrangements and agreements with the health plans with whom we partner. I think that Will persist. I think that the equivalence of telephone to inpatient or video conferencing based work will go away. I think that will be withdrawn. Uh, There's an emergency element to allow for uh, nimble management of the immediate concerns March 19th onward. Mm -hmm. I think that telephone can't arguably match real time synchronous uh, audio and visual communication. so i think that will go away although telephone will probably be allowed for advanced care parent planning circumstances I, I think that's appropriate i think in 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 the context of an established relationship advanced care planning discussions can happen effectively in most cases in telephone by telephone
0: are the health plans that you work with primarily medicare advantage plans or do they run run the gamut
1: They run the gamut. We've got actually the large majority of our patients come through Medi-Cal or Medicaid managed care organizations. We also have two commercial insurers, both of which who have MA plans built in. But we expect that it's going to be Medicare Advantage, especially with the force of the hospice carbon that's going to raise the bar on their ability to really provide the right services to the right member at the right time. I think that's going to enhance their interest in contracting
0: with a care network solution like ours. Thank you. And uh, when, uh, keep your crystal ball handy because uh, I have a similar question. Do you foresee a sort of next generation of telehealth? Where do you see the technology and methods going? How might they evolve?
1: I think we'll probably see it mostly popping up outside of the hospice and palliative medicine space where hospital at home or remote patient monitoring, a collection of reliable data in real time that's pushed forward to the providers can be really centrally important in a primary care practice, a cardiology practice, a pulmonology practice, and and also to make it possible to use video conferencing confidently and safely when your responsibilities are for disease directed care. I see. Right? In our practice, with our responsibilities being entirely anchored in person-centered care, those additional technology tricks, they may add some sparkle or bells and whistles, but they're not centrally important. What's centrally important in our business or our care is that we establish reliable meaningful engagement and trust and we can do that you and i are doing that right now we can see each other while we're recording this audio podcast but we can see each other we can no you, you can't bs somebody who's sitting in the right in the room with you you can't be bs somebody continuously anyways
0: uh, Dr. Fracken, those are all the questions that I have for you. Again, really appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. It's always great to speak with you, and I hope you uh, stay safe and take care. It's good to see you again, John. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.